We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. And welcome to the Moosehead Roots Podcast. This is episode 179 of the pod along Matt Rooney. I alongside Matt Rooney. Oh, you know, sometimes we just leave some words up, but we do okay. not leave our friends behind. I'm Aww. here with Matt Rooney. I'm Joe Musso. Matt, we got uh, a bunch to get to here today. Going to talk a little Bears breakdown. I know we're coming at you in the middle of the week, so we're going to be looking forward to next week as well. Had some scheduling mix-ups, had some... Uh, I think today, it's it's the elephant in the room, though. I think today is one of the most... It, it's a very important day. We got a lot going on in our, our country, and we're, we're yep. tonight, I think, we're anticipating one of the bigger events in our, our lifetimes, the return of Maction. That's it. Um, we got like That's four it. games tonight. I know. I think Toledo Bowling Green is up there. I know Miami Ohio's playing. Uh, we got Buffalo Northern Illinois, Ohio Central Michigan. That's going to be a barn burner. We got like seven games tonight, Joe. So that's. I mean, it's a pretty big day in our country when Maction comes back. I know you are uh, yeah. first uh, first ticket bought for Maction. Uh, I will be taking nobody loves bad well football tonight. more than me. Yeah, and I'm gonna I've, watch. I've I'm gonna watch it. And I'm probably times. gonna turn it off after a consecutive back-to-back botch snaps or something. But that's fun. Very like, that's the beauty of it. It's beautiful. I know. I know. We're not here to talk about bad football. Oh, yes, we are. We're here to yeah, talk about are. bad football. Talk about the Chicago Bears. Bears. Uh, we got a little Bears breakdown. We're gonna do an NFL whip around for you. We'll talk Larusa uh, in the back back in the baseball pants for the White Sox, uh, and then we'll have a little college preview coming your way. Phil Goff uh, has appeared on the pod before, writes, covers the beat for Notre Dame. Obviously, a big matchup here, one versus four, Notre Dame-Clemson, no Trevor Lawrence. He's going to get into all of that and get you set for that matchup as well. We'll do a little buy or sell, give you a lock, and send you on your way. But, Matt, we start, as we always do here, talking about the Chicago Bears. They fall to the New Orleans Saints on Sunday, a very winnable game in a very winnable spot. Uh, Your big takeaway, having time to digest it, is what? Um, I, I think my biggest takeaway is more of a big picture item thing. Like, I, I don't know how much you paid attention to the commentary throughout it, but I, I kept noticing throughout that. Troy game, Aikman was frustrated. Troy Aikman was uh, Joe Buck too, but more, more like, uh, more importantly from Troy Aikman, like the amount of frustration with like, it, it kind of validated, I think all of our bears fans, you know, distrust and, in Matt Nagy and, and belief of the, this being going in the wrong direction, Troy Aikman was with nicely ripping Matt Nagy pretty much throughout that yeah. entire game. And, and quite everything, so. I think he made the same point at some point. Uh, what the same thing we did on the podcast the last couple of weeks is the Bears' offense, you know, was going tempo and it was working, and then all of a sudden they just decide they want to stop it and it stalls like. He doesn't have a feel for the game, and they're, they're the—they're just—they're, you know, committing penalties all over the place. And having Troy Aikman like step out and kind of say that, I think, was a pretty telling sign of we're pretty dead on with where this Bears franchise is. So, Matt, I mean, not to fast forward through the first three and a half quarters here, but what is it about the Chicago Bears that makes them? so futile offensively through three and a half quarters. And then when their back is against the wall, we've seen this now in three or four instances that the final six minutes of the ball game, they move the ball down the field with ease. Because they got to go. It's because they got to move. Like there's no time. I honestly think you have that two minute Operate with that, 
but operate with that necessity and that urgency throughout the game, and maybe you find momentum. That's, that's the point what I'm we, getting at. Like, yeah, that's what we've been talking about. That's like, they, like when they get in that six minutes and they're six minute, four minute drill, two minute drill, and they're down a couple scores, whatever. They start to get. They start to go. They start to get a little bit more aggressive. They start to move a little bit more quickly. They start to get up to the line a little. Like that, they start to not think as much, Joe. I think yeah. that's all this is. Like, I I fully believe in the talent on, with the exception of the offensive line, which now is even more banged up. That's in a that's a rough spot. It was in a rough spot when they were healthy. Like I'm so excited about Darnell Mooney and like his future well, yeah, with the like, Chicago. You, you like look I'm, at the weapons that I, I know I'm you were a little bit down on David Montgomery uh, going into last week, but I thought he had a very good game. Had he a had, game, he yeah. had even that one that one breakaway run that broke he broke. Obviously, he doesn't have the you know four four speed that four three speed is going to separate. But he broke out for a forty yard. He, he almost had a hundred yards rushing on the New Orleans Saints. Which was and the first time I the think crazy, in like two the years. crazy stat that I saw, I think he had like eighty, what, eighty five, eighty nine yards rushing. Yeah. I think eighty four of them were after contact. He is consistently being contacted at the line. Mm-hmm. We cannot hold David Montgomery responsible no. <clears throat> excuse but, me, for anything he's doing positive or negatively because of this offensive line. And I get it. They're dinged up and they're gonna be dinged up the remainder of the season. It, it, it sounds like Bobby Massey's gonna miss some time mm-hmm. here. They're already knocked out, they're already down at the guard position. But Massey's yeah, tackle too I, is now I in the go, COVID protocol. I go back to the fact that these are professionals. You are in the top one thousandth percent. You are in the top percentage of a percentage of one percent of one percent. The top one percent of one percent to go a little election here. Mm-hmm. But you're you're a professional football player here. Okay, get out there and execute an offensive game plan. Block power. Block zone. Pass protection. I, I'm sorry. I understand that there's talented people on the New Orleans Saints and on other teams, but you've got to be able to be a professional and be effective as an offensive lineman. I am not marginalizing what offensive linemen do. It's probably looking at the looking at the disparity of talent from defensive line to offensive line. It's probably the biggest mismatch you're going to get in the NFL in any mm-hmm. position grouping. I think that defensive linemen are the freaks of the sport when you look Great. at some of these tackles and ends. Offensive linemen have they're behind that curve, but they have to scheme ways. They have to execute in ways to be effective. I don't care how talented the guys across from you are, and I don't care if you're a second stringer. You're now starting for the Chicago Bears. Go out there and execute the offensive game plan. And I'm not talking about the play calling. I'm talking about simple facts of football. Blocking zone. Blocking mm-hmm. ISO. Pulling a guard. Pass protection. I, I mean, we could sit here and be critical of Nick Foles and the numbers. We could sit here and be critical of Mitch Trubisky and his numbers early in the season. But those numbers look exactly the same because yeah. they're because they're average quarterbacks playing behind the same offensive line, and it stinks. Yeah, I have a hard time blaming. Like, did Nick Foles have a good game? Absolutely not. The one interception he threw was terrible. I also like. I'm not of the but that's camp, Nick. But, you know that's, that, that, that's Nick, Nick Foles. You're going to get that we, one out said, of Nick Foles. If Nick Foles has an offensive line, like I still think like. You talked about, you know, just go out and like the, the problem with this offensive line, a lot, a lot of them at least, is not the physical. It is the ability to basically I think it's the process attitude, mental, the mental, the, the like, process. Yeah. There was, and I, I think Troy Aikman even called it out. Um, there was one sack. I forgot. I, it might have been Cam Jordan. I, it, there, I, I think Demario Davis got through on, on a twist. And like, Joe, I've been playing offensive line since I was second grade, been learning how to pick up stunts probably since I was in sixth or seventh grade. Oh, yeah. That, it's that, pretty darn that simple. That easy Joe. little text that when, they ran. When that. you had, when you got the man in front of you, shoot who's, straight across your face. Who was playing guy guard that you? chased him to the side Coward, damn near? Coward that, literally yeah, turned yeah, and chased. That was so and, like, bad. It's, it's literally the first thing you learn is don't turn. You pass. Yeah. You don't turn. You pass them off. 
And Cowher just comp- like I know he's a converted defensive lineman. He's been playing offensive line now for two years. That's unacceptable, Joe. Like I I I, I would have been playing left guard there, and I I would have gotten my ass kicked. But I would have known to not turn my body completely and just like that, that's what you do when you turn. You completely open the hole for the rusher to come through. Like, it's not it's day one stuff that they just can't seem to handle. There was a sack that Bobby Massey gave up. Now I know he's out on Monday Night Football to Leonard Floyd that just his kickback technique was completely te- – like it's the technique. Yeah, you just got arm shook. And I, I don't like know was- if it, it, we were led to believe that Harry Heastan was the problem and that Juan Castillo is going to come in and fix all I – don't, I, I don't know at this point if it's – it's hard for me to blame any offensive line coach because sometimes these linemen just aren't picking it up and they're not capable of it. But yeah. again, that goes back to what we talked about. Ryan Pace was quick to address every position group this offseason except the one that really needed to be addressed. And like yeah. you, you talked about it when we were talking a few minutes ago. You look around the offense. Jimmy Graham is having – he's not what he used to be, but he's having as good of a year as he's had since his since New Orleans probably. Allen Robinson is a number one, if not star. 1A receiver. He's a star though. Darnell Mooney looks like a breakout star. Anthony Miller – Inconsistent, but there's clearly talent there. Fantastic game, you know. Cole, Cole Komet, which I again, I don't know how they can't. They're not figuring out ways to get him the football. I'm still seeing Demetrius Harris out there. It's not blocking because we've watched him blocking and block. He made plays against the Rams, but whatever. He's talented. There's talent on that offense. You can't look around at those weapons and tell me there's not talent. The quarterback yeah. is a guy who's won a Super Bowl MVP. Grant, he's not that good, but like he's a guy that when given the when given time in the right system, he's going to be fine. He's going to get the ball mostly where it needs to go. He's going to make, but it's not this bad. It's it's on the offensive line and it's on the coaching. Like yeah. it's not on the. That, it's it's not it's right there in front of us. We I think see. I think they're one of the I think they're one of the most talented and worst coach team worst That's, coach teams I, I in compl- the NFL. And, 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 and obviously people will push back on them because oh talented Nick Foles is your quarterback. Yeah, we got a little we got a little bit of a quarterback deficit, but our biggest deficit is offensive line and coaching. Yeah. And that's where this team falls short of being an actual contender. Like, will they the will Orleans, they still pull off some wins here for the mm-hmm. rest of the season? Yeah, they're still going to rip off some wins. But if you want to be a playoff team, and I, th- yeah, they, they'll probably be a playoff team because of the record and the schedule that lies ahead and the fact that there might be a 16-team playoff. But if you want to be a true contender in the NFL – you have to do you have to do the fundamentals right, and I'm not talking about. I am talking about tackling, blocking, those types of things. But you have to commit to the fundamentals and the execution of the fundamentals. If you don't have that basis, you have nothing. Even if you have all the talent in the world, I, um, well, I think watching, that's why you're seeing too. Like, look at these close. Like they played the New Orleans Saints, who say what you want about them. They're probably not the elite of the elite anymore, but they're well, right. No Emmanuel Sanders, no Michael Thomas, are, and they still scored 26 points. I mean, they're, they're what I'm like. You're, you're, they're playing teams like like. They're playing. The Bears are playing terrible. Like they, 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 that game for the most part, the offense was absolutely terrible, and the talent yeah. is still keeping them in and giving them chance to win football games. I that, tweeted it. Cairo Santos. Cairo Santos is my favorite non-defensive bear. Let's Cairo get Cairo Santos. Santos jersey shirts, not the jerseys, I, but like shirts. We commit to a jersey shirt. Okay, yeah. I can commit to a Cairo Santos. I'm in, I'm in on shirt. that. He's drilling kick. I love that guy. He's into the wind. Do whatever you need. Fifty-one to yards into the wind. I don't think we've hit that field goal since Robbie Gold was here. So if we want to, if we want to feel good about ourselves, let's sit here today, Matt, on November 4th, uh, the year 2020, year of our Lord, and say that kicking is not the issue in Chicago. You know, I think it's, I think we're fair to say, I'm going to knock on wood. I'm knocking on wood right now because I don't want it to come back and bite us. But right now at the given juncture with the Bears sitting at five and three, two and two at home, kicking Mm -hmm. is not the issue. 
I would agree with that. I'm trying, to be, po- I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to silver lining playbook here. Also, it's that, that was that was an okay movie. It was okay. Um, what'd you think of the defense? I thought the defense was good, not great. Um, yeah. I thought that they, they had two chances again, to take away the ball late, and they didn't. And they, I know it's putting a lot of pressure some, on they them. They had some takeaway chances, and with the offense being as anemic as it is, you, you got to take that. I think, I, think, I think actually Aikman said, like, pretty much said that exact, but, like, the exact thing Roquan's, you just said. Roquan's flying around. Khalil gets to the quarterback. Like, they're, they're checking the boxes we need them to check. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hold a Saints team who was thought of as an offensive powerhouse, maybe in the past, but, you know, missing some of their stars. Still still tough to slow down Alvin Kamara, and Drew Brees is always going to give you problems. Drew Brees is always going to see your defense. I think what the Bears defense, what happens to the Bears defense is you get two quarters of good football out of them. Then they come out of the they come out of the locker room, and whether they're out on the field or waiting for the offense to go three and out, you get a big third quarter dip out of them. Mm-hmm. And you know they only give up seven points or six points, excuse me, in the third quarter of this game. But you, there is a because they have to maintain such a level of intensity and they have to play so much football because the offense can't be counted on to score more than twenty points on any given day. That pressure wears on them at about the three quarter way mark of the game. Each and every game, you see a dip in intensity out of this team, and then when they come back in the fourth quarter and they start marching back into these ball games, then the intensity comes back to the defense and they once again become dominant. I need them to maintain that dominant level regardless of what's going on on the other side of the football. I know that's a big ask, and I it's, know it's frustrating for those defensive players because they are maintaining such a high level. Mm-hmm. Jalen Johnson makes some plays. Um, Kyle Fuller wasn't well, the best. Thing, like, game even out when there. they're kind of getting beat in the third quarter, like they're not really getting beat. They're just kind of losing. Like, like they're not getting. And, like ran over like they're just kind of losing little but battles and that's where they tend to give up and those little battles are, are magnified, magnified by your ability yeah. to, to match to match to and score also, you, you know? talked about the third quarter there too like they're i think you've mentioned it the last couple of weeks but like their de- like scoring deficit in third quarters this year also yeah. shows yeah. you i don't care how good your game plan is if you can't like you good coaches especially sean payton when you go into that locker room are gonna have a, a new game plan for the yeah. second half they're gonna have an idea of what you're doing and they're gonna know how to react to it Matt Nagy is so his handling of third quarters and games is pretty much I think in a like a microcosm of his entire tenure with the Bears came out really hot in the first half that first year he looked really good like an offensive genius last couple years people have adjusted to him third quarters teams have kind of adjusted to what the Bears are trying to do he has no idea how to readjust he my, just keeps see, trying to do what he's doing and doesn't adjust like that's my it. Football's concern a game right now. My concern right now, Matt, is not about the adjustments other teams are making to Matt Nagy or the adjustments he's making. My concerns are how this team is receiving their head coach because it it, it gets toxic when you start having pockets of your team doubting your head coach. And I don't see how they're – I don't see a way that you're not all reality that – this defensive grouping is not doubting their head coach play caller. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't see reality there. And that that's not good for the team, but I'm no. saying that's, that's a possibility of what's going on inside that building. You're going to tell me that last week, Matt Nagy comes out, says we've looked at everything and the play calling's not the issue. And everybody in the locker room says, you're right, coach. The play calling's not the issue. These are professionals. You're going to blow smoke at the media and think your guys aren't going to react to it accordingly. 
Like, they know the play calling is the issue, the guys on the offense. The defense knows that scoring is the issue. Maybe they're not as in tune to the offensive game plan, but when they look up at the scoreboard and they see 11 points on the board, they know that something's not right with the play calling, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, quit blowing smoke because you're going to lose a locker room. And that's when the Bears go from average to bad, I think. That's that. And I think we're closer to that line than we are to the Bears going from average to good or a contender. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's just, I kind of want to wrap up Bears here week because week. Go it's going to be frustrating for the weeks to come. But one question that popped into my head as Nick Foles struggled behind this offensive line was, and, and you know, Troy Aikman brought up a couple notes of it of, you know, at least Mitch gives you a, an opportunity to get out of that pocket when the production does break down as it does so often with the Bears. Who have you, enjo- who do you, and I know it's kind of a, a losing battle here, but who do you enjoy watch playing the quarterback position more, Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles? That's a really good question. Um, both frustrate the hell out of me. I wish I could combine them. I wish I could put like Nick's brain in Mitch's body. That's yeah. really good. Uh, I, I don't really enjoy watching either. There's no good answer football. to the question. I, I, I get the like, – I, I still think Nick Foles is the better quarterback and kind of the, the quarterback that gives you a better chance to win. But the point of with this offensive line – does, gives, Mitch, d- give does you, Mitch give you the better? Because there was a time where I, I, that I think it was a third and four or something, something like a second and four. Foles kind of got flushed out of the pocket to the left, and he was like running along the line of scrimmage and had like a two, three yard window to kind of run for it and might have, might have made it, might have not. And he just kind of like backed off and tried to flip one and didn't get it. Like that's a first yeah. down. Mitch probably goes and picked up. And I, again, like I, I still think Mitch Trubisky's the, or Nick Foles is the better quarterback. But with where this offensive line is at, you might need to have more of those rollouts, design QB runs, all that stuff. And quite honestly, the the design QB run they had with Mitch in there earlier, I wouldn't mind like a few packages like that in the way that the Saints use Taysom Hill might not be the worst idea for this team because I know it's gimmicky, but with this offensive line, like when you don't have an offensive line, you have to get gimmicky. Everything and everything about Matt Nagy is gimmicky. Yeah, do it. Just do it. Be who. Be you. Be you. Be gimmicky. Be you. Be gimmicky. Um, I I just think that you know. And to give a little credit here, the thing that comes to mind for me for Nick Foles, I, I, I echo all of the sentiments that you offered there. But the thing that comes to mind with me, because we did start to see a couple deep shots. Nick throws a better deep ball. Neither oh, throws 100%. a very uh, neither throws a very good deep ball. But I want to see them continue to take shots downfield to Mooney to Robinson. Darnell Mooney separates from who, separates from his man, his corner. Little on the size, well. but fantastic body control. Like if I had a player comp there, like top top tier. He's obviously not there yet, but very Deshaun Jackson. And yeah, I might have said that last week, but like very Deshaun Jackson and the way that he moves and evades defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, His God rotten. willing, yeah. God willing, he can become that. But um, like we said, uh, plenty of time for us to lament over the Bears. It's a matchup with the Titans, two teams with trash offensive lines. Um, it's just frustrating the Bears, because Bears the have talent a is there. defensively here. Um, I don't necessarily like. believe in. I don't necessarily believe in the Titans the way that some other people do. So I think a winnable game here on Sunday might be setting myself up for a little bit. This no, I mean, that, that front seven is one that I'm not going to say the Bears can take advantage of because I don't think yeah. their offensive line is good enough to take advantage of any front seven, but might be able to weather the storm of because there's just not much there on the pass rush front. I, I really don't want to get too deep into it either, but I just want to make the statement of strap Javon Wims to a rocket and fire him into a uh, different did- galaxy. I don't I just care. Make that statement here? I don't care if someone spit on you, cut? spit on a teammate. Like, there's no excuse for it. Like, 
you take get care him, of it in other get ways. Get him at the bottom know? of the pile. Get him. Yeah. There's in, other ways. Ear, yeah. ear hole him at the end of a play. Yep. Operate in that gray area, that fringe, if you need to. If someone was spit on and you needed to defend There's one of your never teammates, an excuse or if you had a personal a beef, you're going to rip someone's chain off of them and then throw a punch. I, I loved how uh, I'm blanking on the defender's name now. He's got two last names. Gardner I love something. Gardner Johnson. Um, I, I love how he responded to that first punch. He just kind of looked at him like, what, what, are, you what doing? are you doing? You just punch. Uh, he probably took a bigger hit than that on the play prior. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just shows a complete lack of mental bandwidth. It shows a complete lack of composure in a moment. And it shows a complete lack of commitment to your teammates because you're taking something. Well, while you might say I'm sticking up for a teammate, well, you're making it personal and you're making it about you. Yeah. And you're making a spectacle of yourself. And that was and a big now, point in the game. You've killed all momentum and flipped momentum to the opposing to the opposition. You've completely distracted from any sort of momentum that your team had. Mm-hmm. I, if it was, I'd have. I, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be two faced here. If that was Allen Robinson who did that. I might have a little bit different tone here, but Javon Wims has done nothing. Javon Wims year. is Allen Robinson. He's done absolutely nothing this year to provide value to the Chicago Bears. Strap him to a rocket and fire him into a different galaxy. I, I think we're both on the same page on that one, Joseph. Give me the music. Let's do an NFL whip around. Okay. It all started week eight on Thursday night with the Falcons and the Panthers. Falcons get it done 25-17, moving to two and six on the season. Uh, I worked the early shift on Friday, so I was asleep at halftime of this one, but woke up to a uh, Falcons victory. Yeah, you know, didn't watch a ton of this one either. It's kind of exactly what you thought it was, too. Not very good, slightly below average teams just kind of trading blows. It was your typical Thursday night game. It was not, not much to report. On Sunday, we let off with that, ran through it. Patriots and Bills. The Bills emerged victorious after a costly Cam Newton fumble, driving to tie, possibly win the game. But, you know, it's a Patriots offense that is in many ways just ineffective, anemic, and unable to play with certain teams. Now, I don't think the – I think the Buffalo Bills, because of this win, do win the division. But I, they're not the world beater, AFC favorite, MVP no, they're not. that everyone was to make making them out to be through four weeks. No, I mean, they look good, but I, I think the, the last few weeks we've kind of seen they are clearly a step below teams like the Chiefs, teams like the Steelers, teams like the Ravens. Uh, we've got the Titans and the Bengals. Bengals upsetting the Titans 31-20. to 20. Uh, Wasn't Joe really Burrow close either. Further proving that he's here. And he doesn't care where he got drafted to. He's going to be Joe Burrow. And the law of attraction says that good things will follow me because I'm Joe Burrow. And with a really subpar um, receiving core and an okay defense, uh, they're pretty stout up front. And that's allowed him to stand in the pocket and, and do what he needs to do. His escapabilities look good, too, when the pocket when he does flush from the pocket. But Joe Burrow is the first quarterback in a very long time that is challenging my convention of you're only as good as the place you go. Because I don't think the Bengals were a very good organization prior to Joe Burrow walking in the door. Mm -hmm. I think they're heading in the right direction with him. Yeah, it seems like they got a head coach that that knows what he's doing. They clearly have a quarterback. They they have, like we talked about it last week a little bit, he's got weapons there. Like T. Higgins is having a really good year. Tyler Tyler Boyd? Tyler Boyd. Saying a Taj Boyd, the old Clemson quarterback. Tyler Boyd's a very good wide receiver. Uh, mm-hmm. AJ Green, who knows how much longer he's going to be there, but AJ Green is is not what he used to be, but still very good. Like Joe Mixon's a very good running. Like they got weapons there. It's a really tough division, but they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, they're clearly on the right track. 
um, in terms of what the Titans are doing. Again, the the loss of their tackle and Taylor Lewan can't be overstated. Nope. Um, their defense is just lacking too, and it, it is really just the knee jerk reaction we do when you know Ryan Tannehill has a good game. We're ready to call him an MVP candidate as well. Well, he had a good game. He is still Ryan Tannehill, the guy who couldn't find his left shoe from his right in Miami. Like, there was not some sort of Michael Jordan, Michael Secret stuff moment here Mm -hmm. in where he took the skill set of Pat Mahomes. That's not, that's just not the truth. I think the Titans are a good team, and I think they could contend if they figure it out because they have the most dominant back in the game. But you shut down Derrick Henry and you shut down the Tennessee Titans in in all estimations. Yeah, it's, it's, they go as Derek goes, and they didn't really shut him down, but they limited him about as much as they needed to. Raiders and the Browns, 16-6. to I don't remember this game. Oh, yes, I do remember this game. Uh, crazy kicks, crazy win. It was an easy underplay. Uh, if you have that one tabbed, I think the under was like 48. 48, like 49. That. Yeah, it was low, but it was free. Um, as you can see here, 16-6, to kind of a game that was just played in the middle of the field. Yeah, um, and I, I think this went back to what – I know the weather wasn't great, but Baker against average to good teams isn't very good, and he's very good against bad teams. All right, perfect example of the other end of this knee-jerk reaction, Colts and the Lions. Colts win 41-21 over a 3-4 and four mech Lions team, and everyone wants to say Colts are in the top five in my power rankings. Hold no, on. not yet. Hold on. Like, come on. Let's see what the Indianapolis Colts can do this week against the Ravens. Let's see what they do next week against the Titans. Let's see what they do the following week against the Packers, the following week against the Titans. It's a tough little stretch coming here for the Indianapolis Colts. I think we're going to find out who they really are, and I don't think it is who they're perceived to be right now. Yeah, I just just don't get the point in overreacting to wins over teams like Detroit when you have, especially when you have a game like Baltimore coming up to, you know, next week. It's not like they got to wait very long to figure it out. You got Baltimore. Just kind of wait and see how you do against these good teams. The Vikings and the Packers went at it in a NFC North showdown. The Vikings get the job done. Uh, I, I honestly think that that was obviously the outcome we were looking for there. I don't see the Vikings coming back from the hole that they've dug for themselves. No. And we stay within a game of the Packers in a loss column with their loss. What did you make of this one, Matt? Because it was just kind of a NFC North slugfest in which Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams did everything they could and it wasn't enough. Dalvin Cook's really, really good. Uh, yeah. I think this was Mike Zimmer's kind of dream offensive game for him. Just thirty well, he did carries, touch it thirty times. Just, just let him go and let Kirk Cousins throw as few balls as possible. Um, and on the Packers side, like I think this was kind of their offense in a nutshell, especially now that their running back position's a little bit backed up. Like it's Aaron Rodgers, it's Devontae Adams, and that's kind of it. Like if you can slow down Devontae Adams, you're probably going to slow down the Packer offense. Um, I don't know why they didn't trade for Will Fuller. I'm really glad they didn't because I'd be very scared of him in a Packers uniform with Aaron Rodgers throwing him the football. Um, but that would have been a huge upgrade for this offense and would have clearly separated them from anybody else in the NFC North. But uh, interesting game. And yeah, Dalvin Cook, really, really good. Jets and Chiefs told you that the line was never big enough, 35-9. to nine. Hey, the Jets it kept was, it, it close was, for a half. It was, it was who we thought it was, yeah. uh, a, a type situation. This is, this is a we are who we thought they were type situation. The best team in the league versus the worst team in the league. 
I'm surprised that the Jets scratched out nine points. I guess that's my takeaway here. It was all, all in the first half, too. Kept it somewhat kind of close. It was, what, 21 to 9? Uh, good time. Yeah, but the, good time. Know. Patty Mahomes goes 4-16, 5 TDs. It's don't, just what you don't do think, don't when think you're the best team. Yeah, we didn't really the worst team. This was kind of like what you do in a video game. Like, Dolphins and the Rams. Dolphins opened some eyes. Now 4-3, to 17 over the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams fresh off that win on Monday night Excuse me, against the Bears. They come and lay an egg against the Dolphins team that um, got it done. Defense and special teams. We've uh, said it a bunch. They're, they're so well coached, that Dolphins They are. They're well like coached, Flores and they have a lot of pieces. Star. And they have the, I believe, second lowest cap number next year. So he's going to be able to pay the people he needs to. Despite <laughs> the lowering cap, he's going to be able to go hunt some free agents. And a lot of teams are not able to do that. Next year's cap, this year's cap is $194 million. Next year's cap, the floor is a buck seventy-five, And it's likely going to be around that floor. It's going to be mm-hmm. the first time in a long time that we've seen the cap come backwards. People were projecting the cap next year. Year to be a full 70 million or 40 million higher than this year, like 240 from a buck 94 is what we were looking at. Pandemic hits, revenues come down. Now we're looking at a buck 75. A lot of teams are going to have to shutter their stars. A lot of people on the, the Dolphins are going to be able to spend. Quarterbacks. The Dolphins are going to be able to spend. The Patriots are going to be able to spend. The Raiders are going to be able to spend. If you don't have money committed heading into next year, you're in a good spot if you have a good GM. And I think the Dolphins are in a great spot to compete and to really turn this thing on its head between this year and next because the talent they have there and the flexibility that remains on that roster. Like you look at a team like the New Orleans Saints, they're going to be, if it's 175, next year they have $100 million too much in committed money. Yeah, they're They're already $100 million over cap. Um, You're going to see you're going to see a big name quarterback playing for the New England Patriots not named Cam Newton you're going to see Matt Stafford or Matt Ryan playing for the Patriots you're going to see weird things because people have to get rid of money they have to shudder to, in order to get under this cap and it's going to make for a really interesting offseason um, the Dolphins will be big buyers I think this offseason and uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of the pieces moving forward I think we're bearing the lead a little bit here it was the Tua. Uh, it was the debut at least starting wise of Tua Tagovailoa. looked Gross, like didn't look good, didn't throw the ball well, didn't look comfortable. It first start, obviously, don't sound the alarm just yet, but like looked small in the huddle, looked, um, didn't look like a starting quarterback. And one start in, you, uh, you obviously, uh, you, you got to give him about what is it? You got to give a kid 20 something starts, yeah, you got to give him a little is. bit. Um, was not the debut the Miami Dolphins were looking for. They got it done with defense and special teams. Yeah, I think he's probably just happy he got a win, but obviously the Dolphins are going to be looking for, for more from him going forward. Steelers and Ravens, quite possibly a AFC Championship showdown. 28-24, uh, to 24, Steelers come out victorious. This, was, this should have been my lock of the week. It was... Uh, my biggest bet of the week and uh, paid nicely here. Steelers at 6-0 and were, they opened up as six-point road dogs. Like, come on, free money. Anybody? Anybody? Um, but it was an awesome game. It was a well-contested game, and it was the game of the week. Um, I think those are two teams that, moving forward, will be favorited against just about anyone but the but the Chiefs. Um, yeah. And we shall see how it all shakes down. Credit you for your. I saw your your, your video that you tweeted from uh, from on the air talking about Robert Spillane, Fenton, Robert Spillane, all those fun facts. Little pick six action for the former Friar. That's right. Uh, Check that out on Twitter if you have not. We're we're spreading the good word of the Fenwick Friars at the NFL level, uh, like like wildfire. That was just that was a really fun football game to watch between two pretty darn good football teams. Pick six Spillane a week after meeting Derrick Henry in the hole. The kid's going to be a captain for the next decade in a steel curtain. Chargers, Chargers about a guy who might actually, with Devin Bush coming back next year, yeah. he might be a guy who's 
the Steelers aren't going to be able to afford to pay, or they might. Yeah. I mean, who knows? That's he, he might be a guy who's in, in line to get some big money from somewhere next year. Chargers and Broncos. Broncos win thirty-one to thirty. Drew Locke drives him down the field after looking like just hot garbage for about three quarters. Uh, finds it, dances his way to a victory. I was totally focused on the Bears game for most of the late slate, so you'd have to fill me in on this one. I just, I mean, I was kind of Justin flipping Herbert made off mistakes. It looked uh, like the Chargers were up huge, and then we're not up huge anymore. Yeah, this is unacceptable for the Chargers. They've now held, uh, I retweeted it, if I can go back here, if you give me two seconds, because I want to get the numbers right, because it's that outrageous. Uh, they've held fourth quarter leads. Their last four games, the Chargers have blown leads of 17 points, 17 points, 16 points, Good and God. 21 points. They've blown those leads in four consecutive games. Is not that good? Up. Not that good? Up. No, that's not uh, good. Moving on here, 49ers and Seahawks. Seahawks win 37 to 27. Um, respect to the, for the 49ers for continuing to play football, but it's just one of those years where everybody's down. It's not they going have, their way. They have $80 million plus on injured reserve right now. Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle both suffering injuries once again. Jimmy, another high ankle sprain, four to six weeks. Uh, Kittle could be out eight. for the season, eight weeks plus, uh, with a broken bone in his foot. So, done chain on the 49ers. Uh, what can you say? Sometimes sometimes teams come back from losing in the Super Bowl and they don't make the playoffs just because they're sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. And other times, things like this happen. I would not constitute that as what's happened here to the 49ers. Injury has just decimated them more than anyone else in this league. No, this has not been a case. I mean, you, you look they're, at they're, they're looking at a bunch of COVID issues heading into Thursday night's game with the Packers. So I was like, going to say, I think it's the you, exact it's a, opposite. It's a, it's a Kyle Shanahan hands up in the air. What do you want from me? Type you, you look at their roster, who they're playing with, and how early they started losing players. They're still four and four. They're still like, I mean, they're not going to win that division. They're still kind of out of like they're they're still in the hunt. Like they're still playing hard. Like it's not by any means a hangover thing. They that just is have a nobody. They're desperate. that is a win total. I will have my eye on uh, going into next year because sometimes Vegas doesn't really factor all of that in. Mm-hmm. They just look at the players. They look at the division and they set the number. This team. I, I think two and a half, three wins worth of injuries this year. So I, if, if that is not accounted into next year's number, it could be one to take advantage of. Cowboys and Eagles, Eagles 23, Cowboys 9. This was the game I watched the least of. I was done. I was done. I, this I had it on. I, this game so I, did, I had it on my laptop happened. while I was playing video games. I maybe watched a drive. It was. It happened. Exactly. This game this happened. Game happened. Um, yeah. Carson Wentz just isn't very good. I think that was kind of my takeaway from this one. Yeah, there's nothing to talk about. I think you want to talk about injuries being decimating your team. Not only are the Cowboys not all that good, but obviously they have no offensive line. They're on their third quarterback. I'm telling you, Bears Eagles in the four or five is going to be the least watched playoff game in the history of Chicago's Revenge, Joe. <laughs> Chicago's Revenge. It's our Super Bowl. It's our Super Bowl. Buccaneers and Giants on Monday Night Football. Tom Terrific uh, gets it done 25-23 to 23 in comeback fashion against Danny Dimes and company. Questionable call there on the two-point conversion that would have tied it up. They threw a flag I for thought P.I. It was the right, they I thought they got the it flag. right. Yeah, but you throw that flag, that flag stays on the ground. It looked like, it very much like a review. That, whatever that you call true. it, whatever you call it, if it's bang bang like that, it's got to stay that way. Especially I, I, if it decides a game. I think, especially. I, yeah, I think when you look at it slowly, like when you I, when I saw it, it's in real a bad time, ball by Danny Jones. When if I Daniel look, Jones yeah. throws him to the pylon, it's a touchdown or it's a two point conversion, no problem. When he I look behind that, him, forced it into a little bit of a of a pass interference area. But I get what you're saying. But once that once that laundry's on the ground, oh, I know, it stays I, there. When I looked at that in real time, I absolutely thought that was pass interference. That was the right call. When they took time to slow it down, yeah, it probably wasn't. But I don't know what changed in that little, you know, 
huddle confirmation that they made them switch. Um, I I know it's been kind of a rough year from the Giants, but Daniel Jones kind of he impressed me in that game. I I thought he He made some really digs it away though so much. He does, and like that's something. Two more ints, I believe. That's something that you have to hope that you know as a quarterback who, by all means, when he was drafted, people thought was going to need some you know growing a little bit, need some seasoning. He's kind of getting thrown into the fire, like. He made some that throw to Golden Tate for the touchdown. Obviously, great was, catch by Tate, but that good throw was—I mean, that's that ball can be in one singular area on that field for that play to be made. And Daniel Jones put it where he has to. The kid can make the throws if he can figure out the decision making part and hang on to the football. I think he's going to be in real good shape. I really—I I don't think Jason Garrett's a very good head coach, but I think he might be a very good guy to be an offensive coordinator, kind of quarterback guru in his ear. And I think Joe Judge is, is a good head coach for that team. They really play hard for him, even though they're not very good right now. A um, lot of positives to take away for the Giants and the Bucks. I think just kind of slept, walked through it, and figured they could yeah, get they got the win, and that's they what they did. did. And it wasn't uh, it wasn't their top performance, but um, you know Brady talks about you know just getting one more point than the other team, then yeah. winning ugly. Winning we saw games ways. like this with him again when he was with totally. the Patriots too. Like uh, it happened. Interesting stat here. Daniel Jones has now started 20 games in the NFL. He has 36 turnovers, most quarterback, most turnovers by a quarterback since 1998 in their first 20 starts. Ryan Leaf with 41. So he's five turnovers away from a guy that became persona non grata in the NFL. I Ryan know times Leaf. have changed. I know that people take more chances now offensively. But Daniel Jones is at Ryan Leaf levels of giving the ball away. And if I'm the Giants, and if I end up looking at a top three, top two pick, and either Justin Fields or... Then you have um, to consider it. Absolutely. Either Justin Fields or uh, Trevor Lawrence is on the board. I- I'm sorry, but... We're oh, moving yeah, on from Daniel. We're moving on from Daniel Jones, you know. I, and then I mean, quite honestly, if you do that, you probably have, I mean, Daniel Jones would have trade value too at that point. Someone's going to give you a pretty decent no pick for him, and I, yeah, then you have to do that. No doubt, you get a you get a little bit better than a Josh Rosen return on him. Where is Josh Rosen? Uh, Shout out to Josh Rosen if he's listening. Josh Rosen. Friend of the pod. He's practice kind of. squat. I think he's practice squat in Green Bay, if I'm not mistaken. Who were the four quarterbacks taken in that draft? Because I remember coming out of it, it was, you and I both like Rosen's talent. I still stand by Rosen's talent. I it was Rosen, Darnold, Allen, and Baker. Baker. So Allen clearly is the, is the winner from that. Is he? Right now, yeah. Is he? Look at the other four, the other three. One's on a practice squad. One is on the Jets. I don't know. I don't know who Sam Darnold is yet. Neither do you. Fair enough, but he has not had a about, chance to prove himself. You talk as a about being in player. situations; he might not get a chance to prove himself as a That's football true. player for a few years. I, I, and I maintain Josh Rosen is a lot better than he'll ever get the opportunity to prove. Um, not saying that he's a franchise quarterback, but man, the guy had a cup of coffee in Arizona, a cup of coffee in Miami, and that's that. Talk about know. a team that, like, you know, my, I, I don't think they're up against the cap. I know they signed some pretty big contracts with uh, CJ Mosley. Obviously, I don't. Are they still paying Le'Veon Bell, even though they cut him? Or? Uh, no, that's okay. dead money. That's picked up. By, yeah, that, uh, that's a team they that paid is guarantee this going year. to draft either Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. And I, I know the Bears have a quarterback carousel going on, but that's that's a good guy I'm at least calling on and seeing what pick they're going to want for a guy like that. Yeah. Um, that's it for our NFL whip, whip around week eight. Uh, it's the Bears, and it is the Titans in week nine. Get our sixth win here, boys. Keep moving. Keep just, on moving. Just win a game, please. Um, please, Matt, I said we, please. we do have before we get to this uh, Notre Dame Clemson break. Or you know what? Let's let's jump right into this interview with uh, 
with Phil Goff. Let's keep things football here for a moment, then we'll go to Russa on the back end. But uh, ND Clemson coming your way. It's the game of the week this weekend. Number one meets number four, and number one doesn't have their starting quarterback. They do have a stud in DJ Uyangalale. Uh, is, is, is that really how you pronounce it? Uyangalale. I'm in I broadcast for a living. I had to, no, you're wrong. Yeah, it's, then ESPN it's, was mispronouncing it all day it's Saturday. Lale. Um I, I I watched a video of him pronouncing his name seventeen times before I went on air on Saturday. I love that. DJ Uyanga Lale. They call him they call him Big Cinco. All right. So Big Cinco is gonna be under Great. center. He's literally Samoan Ben Roethlisberger, and I'm afraid of him. But here's Phil Goff. Future Bears Notre quarterback, Dame. DJ Ungalale. Uyanga Lale. How are you going to get it I wrong? Said. I'm trying to do a toss into the. I'm trying to toss the fill here and and the. Well, let him pronounce I'm, it. I'm going to pronounce it wrong. DJ Uyanga Lale. One versus four. Here's Phil Goff with your preview of this week's game of the week in college football. Hit the post with the shot. Let's welcome on as we do so often before Notre Dame games where they take on a pretty important opponent. We didn't do it last year, of course, when they were at Michigan. That saw how that worked out. Uh, Phil Goff covers Notre Dame for SB Nation site. One foot down, Philip underscore underscore g-o-f-d on twitter phil how you doing today i'm doing good thanks for uh thanks for making time and hopefully uh hopefully stopping the karma that was last year uh the loss to michigan i'm not blaming it on you but i'm also not not blaming it on in you. my defense i was in vegas so you know there were i had other things going on it's not it's not you it's me but very, you know, very I, fair <laughs> i had priorities i you know i was i was on notre dame that game so i was hurt as, as much as anybody um, I, I don't know where I want to get into it. Let's start here with, I think, the most important topic on everybody everybody's minds. How in the hell do you pronounce Clemson's quarterback's last name? Because me and Joe just had an argue about, argument about it. He says he thinks he knows. I have no idea. How do you pronounce it? DJ Uungalele? My, my, my strategy is, is, is just to be confident about it. So DJ Uungalele is how I'm doing okay. it. And because I show confidence, I feel like it's right. It might not be, but I'm sure we're going to hear the announcer's Talk about how they don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's kind of like Saturday. like when you talk about Worcestershire sauce. Like if you just say it quickly oh, yeah. and fast with some confidence, <laughs> nobody actually cares they pronounce yeah. it. They know what you're talking Ongalele. about. Ongalele, of course. But let's let's actually get into the game here, Phil. You and I were just talking before the podcast about how generally since you've been covering, covering the team here in Notre Dame, it's been pretty darn good with the exception of a lot of these big games against premier, premier opponents. Um, I don't know what you think is going to happen this week. We'll get you an official prediction at the end here. But what is Notre Dame's path? to winning this game and flipping the script on kind of their reputation up to this point. So I think to start off with the, if there ever is a time for Notre Dame to beat a number one team, um, it's now. now. Um, And, and, and a couple of reasons for that. Um, Obviously the first is that Trevor Lawrence is not playing. So you, you take probably, you know, not controversial statement, one of the top two college quarterbacks of all time and remove him from the equation and insert a freshman. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is huge. Um, the, the second aspect of it is they're missing, you know, three to four key defensive players, um, which is again, really big. Um, and then the, the next thing is they Clemson doesn't really have the world beaters at wide receiver. So from a, from a Clemson standpoint, I would say this is the, uh, where they are this weekend. I'm not saying when they're at full strength, but where they are this weekend is probably the most vulnerable Clemson has been in the last, you know, two or three years. So if there's ever a time to do it, I think it is right now. Um, so that in and of itself, I think gives me a, a bit of optimism going into this game. I would be more optimistic if it was a packed house night game in yeah. 40 degree weather, but it's, you know, 
65 degrees I was so in November. bummed when I checked the forecast. <laughs> I, on Monday, I checked the forecast for South Bend Saturday, and it's like highest 70. It's like, are you kidding me? The one time we actually have a team like this from the South coming in, it's going to be 70 degrees and sunny all day. Um, I'm going to talk about Notre Dame's offense here. You and I have argued uh, on and off air about Ian Book. Ian Book is undefeated at home, so he's going to have a, a tall task here to stay that way. Um, what have you seen from Ian Book this year that, that makes you think this could be – I know his last time he started against Clemson in the playoff, he was, he was a sophomore and you know, still very early on in his career. What, what, makes you, what have you seen so far from him that makes you think this could go a little differently? Uh, I mean, to be candid, I've been really frustrated by Book this year, and I've welcome to the dark know, side. Have, yeah, I, I'm not to, I'm not to the dark side yet, but I'm the dark I'm side. Trust, I'm Darth. You Vader. are the dark. I'm side. not a Star Wars guy, <laughs> but even I know that I'm Darth Vader here. Um, I've been frustrated, um, mostly because uh, where we saw him in 2018 was an incredibly lethal short yardage to mid yardage passer. Mm-hmm. Um, he hit every throw that he should hit. He wasn't pushing the ball downfield a ton, but he didn't necessarily need to. Um, and so, you know, this year, it's, he hasn't put together a complete game. He's shown, I think, some really good poise in some moments and a willingness to pull the trigger to, to hit some of those throws. Like, for example, last weekend on his you know first drive uh, against Georgia Tech, he was had a methodical, slow, seven-for-seven seven perfect drive that ended up with a, you know, great touchdown pass. Um, and then... You know, a couple drives later, he missed a wide open touchdown pass. So for me, it's just that lack of consistency. It's because he has all the tools, both from a running perspective as well as a throwing perspective, to have a game where he could beat Clemson. And so you look at the you look at the concept of which book is going to show up. Um, do I think he needs to have an otherworldly performance for Notre Dame to win? I don't, um, but I do think he needs to be incredibly accurate from eight to fifteen yards. Um, and then mix in a couple of seam balls to some tight ends and some, some running backs. Um, and so the key for me is, can he make those plays not just on first down, but can he make some of those 8 to 15 to 20 yard throws on third down? Um, and then when he does get man coverage um, and things aren't open, he's probably going to have a lot of one-on-one matchups running the ball versus a linebacker. And can he win that battle? And the one thing that does make me a little bit more optimistic is that when he book has seen man coverage and his read options aren't there, he takes off and has mm-hmm. been consistently getting eight to 15 yards on his own. And also Clemson doesn't have Isaiah Simmons this year, which is thank God. Thank God. Cause I tort- I tortured myself and went back and watched the uh, 2018 offense guys all over the field. And so it's, there, there were a couple plays where, you know, book was checking down to running like, oh, he's got a step. And then Isaiah Simmons just closes the door immediately mm-hmm. or he dumps it off to a running back and Isaiah Simmons closes the door immediately. So Clemson doesn't have that guy uh, who's healthy right now. So that is a favorable matchup. But you wonder, or you worry, is he going to just what he's going to be like in the pocket? Is he going to be skittish or is he going to be comfortable? So it, it, honestly, it, it sounds eerily familiar to a different team that you and I both root for. Granted, he's not the starting quarterback anymore, but the quarterback you essentially just described, not to cross leagues here, is he's kind of Mitch, right? He like When he's comfortable in the pocket, when he decides to stay in there, when he's accurate, he's really good. But when he's all over the place and doesn't want to use his feet or use his feet too early, which is my biggest criticism of being book, I think he bails out of the pocket way too early. Uh, he's kind of setting himself up for failure. It's a lot of mental in his head type deal. Yeah. So I think he's going to have to rely on rely on his tight ends um, and make we'll to those. Um, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. They're they're incredible, but I'm really interested to see the game plan that Reese puts together. Um, you know, I think it's going to be very heavy. You know, heavy. They're going to obviously try to run the ball, but they're going to really try to get the ball um, to their tight ends to have and get their tight ends matched up against the linebackers. And Book has missed a decent amount of those throws to those tight ends, so that worries me. But you know, you hope that he gets into a rhythm early, um, and then we can rely a little bit on the running game too, because Notre Dame has their, you know, their best, I think their best running back combo that they've had since it's been a while. I've been a, since I've been a Notre Dame fan. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about that running game a little bit. Cause I think you, you and I have also talked this year. I mean, those running backs are good. We know that the offensive line is, is a little bit of a point of concern, not necessarily because of their talent, but more or less kind of their, their motivation and their drive sometimes. So what do I mean? What do you kind of expect to see from them? Because this is going to be as tall of a task as this offensive line has faced since I mean, largely returning the same group as last year since they went up against Georgia and that didn't really go all that well for them, at least trying to run the ball. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to a mentality. Um, are they going to come out and, you know, catch and focus on, you know, just not getting beat? Or are they going to be aggressive um, and, and take the point of attack to the Clemson D-line? Clemson D-line is is very talented, but they're young and not nearly as good, I think, as the, uh, you know, group we saw in 2018 mm-hmm. or even the, the Georgia defensive line that, you know, they've seen the last two years. So there's an opportunity for them to, you know, go up against some supremely talented but younger guys and I think take the fight to them. And so I think we'll see that very quickly if or if not Notre Dame can run the ball. So it's, it's I think it's a mentality and we'll know, you know, probably within the first two drives if, if they have it. Well, I like I like that. My, I, I want to talk a little bit X factors. We're going to get to the defensive side of the ball. I think the fact that we're not talking about it shows how, how confident both of us are in that unit and that the guy leading that unit. But we'll get to that. I got one more offensive question for you. Uh, there is a is, as good as the tight ends are and have been. Uh, Mayer looks like he's already very good. He's going to be a future star. Tommy Trimble's been been pretty solid. Wide receiver, we, we don't have the the Chase Claypool. We don't have the Miles Boykin that we've had the last couple of years. That one kind of game breaker that went in doubt, you know, go throw it up to him. There's a 50-50 chance he's coming down with it. Who's got to step up in that unit? I know you've been big on Ben Skoranek. Skoranek, I think is how you pronounce it, right? The, the grad transfer from Northwestern. Who mm-hmm. else has got to step up from that unit? To, if, if they're going to beat Clemson, they're going to need to make plays on the outside. Yeah, and to start off with, Notre Dame is – they're, they're two most, I would say, physical specimens who you'd want to play against Clemson are, are both hurt. So Kevin Austin is out for the year with a broken foot. And Braden Lindsey, who's their uh, kind of speed and deep threat. Your favorite player um, maybe of all time, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I really, really like the way he plays. He's just, again, some fast guys have mm-hmm. twitchy hamstrings. I, I know that's something you had to deal with in high school. A lot of, uh, every week, every week. <laughs> in and out of the training um, room. <laughs> but uh, I think... I think what we've seen is some some flashes of some, again, nobody's going to be Claypool. No one's going mm-hmm. to be um, Boykin. But you have uh, Ben Skoranek uh, from Northwestern, who's a, you know, he's a 6'3", 230-pound, you know, guy with really good hands and who's who's made some big plays in some big games. Um, so I think if they don't have to be world beaters, but I think what they have to do is they have to be able to have some big conversions on third down to keep the game going. So I think what we'll see is hopefully Skoranek's ability to uh, kind of find the soft spot in some of those zones and also win, you know, win a couple contested throws. And so I like, I like Skoranek more than McKinley in this game. 
Um, so McKinley's the other outside receiver who mm-hmm. I think has some elite traits, but just hasn't really ever put it all fully together. Put it put it together on a consistent stretch. Now he had five catches for ninety plus yards last week and and looked good and looked smooth, and he's been looking much smoother in the last couple games. I do have to admit than he has ever. Um, but but I like Skoranek in this game to come up with you know four to five catches for you know sixty to seventy yards, and, and I think that's all that all that he needs to do because the focal point of this, this game is going to be hopefully the running game, but also getting the tight ends, the ball in space, uh, the screen game as well. Um, book has missed a couple screens that have been set up beautifully. So if he can hit some of those, I think there's an opportunity for the screen game to, to really, really go and take it, take advantage of an aggressive Venables defense. Now, now one more for you on the offensive side here. I, I didn't want to talk about those running backs. We touched on Kyron Williams, uh, Sebo Flemister, Chris Tyree. What have you seen? I mean, Kyron Williams has been the breakout star, obviously. I don't think a lot of us saw that coming to this extent, maybe. Um, what have you seen from the five-star Chris Tyree? I think he's shown some some flashes early on, but he, he seems to be kind of – I mean, he's a true freshman, so not really worried about the long term. But what have you seen from him early on? What, what do you like? What What is he kind of struggling to grasp with? So the, the, the thing I like the most, it's if he gets the ball and gets his foot he and goes. gets going downhill, he goes. Um, there has been a couple where he's shown a little hesitation. Um, and so I think they're, they're going to focus on getting in the ball, either on some jet sweeps, some reverses, um, and also just some, you know, some counters where he has a clear path towards the outside where, mm-hmm. where I don't, where I don't think he's going to be as fe- as effective as, you know, uh, running him into the boundary. That's where Kyron Williams is, is really effective, can make a guy miss, can cut on a dime. I think Tyree's going to get there. Um, but I think they're going to really try to strategically use him, you know, as a, as a speed option in this game, but also see him in some two back sets where, again, you can throw a fake to somebody else and then either swing it to him or get him on a reverse. Um, but just having somebody on the field who's in the four, three range is going to force Clemson to have to respect think it. About and, him, if, yeah. and, and if they don't, then I think that opens up an opportunity to get him the ball in space. So I think he'll probably get anywhere from, you know, six to six to eight touches in this game. Um, and hopefully that hopefully book is really creative about how he gets in the ball, because if he's a guy who can get going and can, you know, maybe see a hole and go, he could take it, you know, in a blink of an eye, 70 yards. Now let's, let's get to defense here. How sad are you that Kyle Hamilton is probably only got one more year left in an underneath uniform? Uh, very sad. Pretty because sad, I think right? He's, he, yeah. He's, he's been so good this year, and I just want oh to talk God. about it's, how good Kyle Hamilton is. That's that's it. That's the tweet. I think some people are saying, like, maybe he's having a – not a down – anyone who's watching the game doesn't think he's having a down year, but if you look at his stats, they're not going to blow you out of the water. But anyone who's watched any games that he's been a part of, he has been incredible. And so he's kind of the rare combination of an absolute physical freak, you know, 6'4", 220-pound safety. But his ability to diagnose plays is – unbelievable and so you know a play last week uh versus georgia tech there was a um there's a two-point conversion he was playing the opposite side safety and they ran you know a pitch or a run play into the boundary hamilton burst through past the other linebacker past both the Dame linebacker and the other safety to burst through and tackle it for a loss and that was very much like it's not just he saw it and reacted mm-hmm. he knew the play was coming he jumped the play and then he executed on the play. So he has just been unbelievable. And his, the amount of catch, I want to say his catch rate is like under, under 20%. Don't quote me on that, but his catch rate is something just, just quote him on that, stupid. Please. 
<laughs> but he's a freak, and I, I love him, and I'm sad that he's going to be a first-round pick uh, in the draft next year. Yeah, maybe he'll go to the Bears and then team up with Eddie Jackson. Um, Please. Let's talk a little bit more about the defense here. How does the game plan change a little bit now that they don't have to game plan for Trevor Lawrence? Obviously, I know Clark I, – I trust – Clark Lee to the end of the earth. Um, I, I think he's going to come up with a great game plan, but obviously they've probably been in the back of their minds in the office, been planning for this one a little bit. That game plan obviously changes. How does this game plan, how does his game plan change up a little bit? I think you're going to, it's going to start off much more aggressive. Okay. Um, so kind of the staple of Clark Lee is not necessarily a slow start, but a let's see what this offense is going to do. And then we're going to make adjustments that are, Fantastic, And so I think this game, he doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want to let Uangalele get comfortable. Um, get, in, get comfortable or even get into a rhythm. Because if he gets into a rhythm, he has an absolute cannon for an arm. Um, he can make every single throw from his knees. Um, but last week he showed, you know, a couple throws that were, you know, he threw into the dirt or he overthrew his receiver. And I think some of those came when he had to, you know, react quickly. And so what Clark Lee is going to do and, and what I hope he does is that he comes out aggressive, shows a lot of pressure, um, mixes it up with some blitz, some, you know, shows blitz and comes off and tries to confuse him because if he can slow, if he can slow the game down, honestly, um, and give him limited possessions, it's, you know, it's going to pay huge dividends because again, a freshman on the road in a top four matchup with playoff implications is a lot Fans of pressure. Or not, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, and if, again, even, I think even the lack of fans might make it an even tougher environment because, you know, some guys get up there and for a massive game like that, they're getting up, they're getting hyped, they're speeding mm-hmm. off both energy or negative energy from a crowd. And so it's really going to be, I think, a, a tough environment, um, for this kid to play. And I, I think he can step up and I think he can, he is a very, very good player, but Clark is going to come out and, and be aggressive just to get him off of his game. And that's, I think that's the only way that Notre Dame can, can successfully do that. And then I think on, on top of that, obviously they have a guy that you might know, Travis Etienne, who's one of the best running backs in the history. I was very upset football. when I saw he wasn't going pro last year. I think we even texted about it when he made the announcement. That was unfortunate. That was very unfortunate, but he, he's a guy who I love. I mean, he's a great he's player. He's so good. He's so fun to watch. He's so good, so fun to watch. It's a kid who clearly has done all the right things through his career from a leadership perspective, from a hard work perspective. So, uh, you know, with that said, um, behind ETN, the running backs don't scare me. And so they're really going to focus on, I think, either putting uh, Jeremiah Wusukaramoa or Kyle Hamilton just in a way where they can get a bit of a spy on him. Because mm-hmm. I think they hold up they hold up pretty well in the run game against him. He's going to make some plays. Um, but I, I think Notre Dame, with their linebacker core and everything, can hang with him. But where they where he would kill the Irish is with a swing route out of the backfield and Notre Dame's middle linebacker or buck linebacker is lined up against him. So just making sure you're putting yourself in a position where you have, you know, your two best players on defense. And I'll even maybe throw um, Sean Crawford to the other safety into that mix. Mm-hmm. But having somebody who's going to take away either his, you know, the wheel routes, the uh, running back choice routes, or even just the swing routes out of the backfield. Because if he gets going, if you watch, if you watch him catch the ball, it's insane that he can catch the ball and be going downhill at full speed immediately. So I think... Notre Dame has to make sure that they're accounting for that and covering and putting their best guys in a position to take those away. All right. I got three quick rapid fire questions here. Quick answers. And then we'll wrap up. Yep. 
X factor for Notre Dame on Saturday night, either side of the ball? Um, I'm going to say uh, Jeremiah Usu-Karamoa. Okay. Uh, Notre Dame, finish the sentence, Notre Dame wins Saturday night if? Uh, if Ian Book completes over 65% of his passes. I like that. And final score on Saturday night is? I want to say Notre Dame, but I just, I can't yet because I think Ian Book really has to step up. So I'm going uh, 31-24 Clemson. But I I, I will say, I think if Notre Dame can score 30 points um, or 32 points, I think they win this game. Um, 31 for me is a a bit of a stretch for Clemson. I could see a game where Notre Dame wins, you know, 35-28. But I think if ND can score 30, they can win. If they don't score 30, I I don't see them winning this game. 31-26, lock it up, Irish. All right. I'm, again, this, I'm, if that hits, I'm, you owe me a hundred bucks. Um, I, you know what? I will. I would happily pay you a hundred dollars. Nice. That'd be a good um, price. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would. Again, I, I always said like, it on a podcast, so it's a binding agreement. It's you legally owe me a hundred dollars if the final score is thirty-one twenty-six. I, I think I do too, but I'm 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 optimistic, um, and I think this game is going to be competitive. I'll say that. I I really am confident in that fact that this is going to be a good game, and that really excites me. And I think Notre Dame will have a chance to win. And that's, I think, in this scenario, playing the number one team in the country, that's all you can ask for. And we'll see see what they do with the opportunity, and we'll see if Book steps up to the plate. All right, Phil, thanks for joining us. Um, Big night for you Saturday. Your kind of record's on the line here. Notre Dame hasn't lost yet when you've joined the podcast before a big game. So if they lose, we might have to start questioning, you know, your future here on the Moose and Runes podcast as a contributor. Uh, But that's that's a bridge we'll cross, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and you can hold me to that. So, <laughs> But, Phil, we appreciate, appreciate it for coming on always. You, you got the unique Notre Dame knowledge that we don't always have. Uh, that's, again, Phil writes for One Foot Down. That's SB Nation's Notre Dame site. You can follow him on Twitter at philip underscore underscore G-O-F-D. Give him a follow. Go watch the Irish on Saturday night. Phil, thanks again for hopping on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. All right, so great stuff from our guy, Phil Goff. Always appreciate him getting on the pod here, lending his insights into some Notre Dame football. You know, sneaky, just sitting there at number four in the nation. Like, don't look it's – it's a total don't look now type scenario. Um, but not only, uh, not only is this just a big game for that ranking, but ACC championship, here we come. Like, who knows? Yeah, like, I, I, don't get me wrong. They're number four, and we talked about it. Like, I'm, I'm still – It's a little like, hollow. I need to – I need to – like, you got to win this game. Like, I, yeah. we've seen this movie before with this – this team, this coach, this pretty much exact team with this quarter. Like, we've seen this movie before. And usually, yeah. for the most part, with the exception of the Michigan game last year, like, they usually show up for these games, but they don't usually come out winning them. Um, take, I'm, take the thing out of Book's hands. Hand it to Kyron Williams a thousand I, times just, and win the football game. I, I, I couldn't agree with, with you more. I think my, uh, my feelings on Ian Book have been broadcasted several times, and they have not changed. And quite honestly, there's not much he can do to change them other than go out and throw for, like, 300 yards, four touchdowns on Saturday, which I hope he doesn't because I don't think he should be throwing the ball that often. Matt, before we turn our attention here to the diamond, you want to offer a lock of the week for the people. We both uh, took an L last week. My Michigan, Michigan State over missed by two points. And you had what? Uh, I had the I had North Carolina laying six on the road at Virginia. They lost, I think, outright. So that was a tough. One. So Matt is five and three. I am three and five. And I am offering you an NFL pick Baltimore on the road, two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Colts. I, I just think, as we talked about in our whip around, I think the jury is out for me on the Colts, and I very much feel like I know who the Ravens are. They're going to get into tough games. Lamar Jackson might struggle in those tough games, but 
when you're playing a team that they perceive as lesser than them. I think it's I think it's a touchdown ball game. I think Baltimore handles their business in a bounce back type scenario here on the road against the Colts. Yeah, um, I first off I like to say for the record, North Carolina football is officially dead to me. Okay. Um, those are two road games that I bet on them that they lost outright. <laughs> they were the much better team, so they are hashtag dead to me. Except for their uniforms are still cool, which is a shame, but they're dead to me. Um, I'm going to. You, you talked about the Chiefs and Jets that that being a line that couldn't be big enough, and you'd still mm-hmm. take the Chiefs. I see a line like that this week. It's the Steelers at Dallas. I know they're on the road. Dallas is either going to start Ben DiNucci or Cooper Rush, and their offensive line stinks. These Steelers have a great pass rush, great front seven, and their offense is is not quite fully clicking, but they're playing well. They're minus thirteen and a half. I think they I think they get the two touchdowns on what the road was, against who what was ever the, is taking snaps for Dallas. What was the arena football team in Chicago? Was it the Chicago Rush? Was the Chicago Rush? Yeah, I was gonna say. It, I think Ditko on them for a while. Cooper Rush sounds like a like a indoor football team. Like yeah, the Cooper or, Rush. Well, like, I mean, I believe small he played for town, Cent- West I was Virginia. gonna say he sounds like a Maction type quarterback, and I believe he Very played much. Central Michigan, if I'm not Very mistaken. But yeah, so he's gonna he's yeah, that's about right. That's good stuff right there. All right, those are your locks of the week. As I said, Matt sits at five and three. I sit at three and five. Don't look now, boys are getting hot. Matt, before we say goodbye to the people, we got any buy or sell? We got any mailbag? We, we got to talk Tony Larusa, Joe. Come on now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. New White Sox manager Tony Larusa. I, I teased it and everything. Uh, yeah, Sox go out and get the oldest manager in the history of baseball. Essentially, not true, but oldest manager in the game right now, uh, Tony Larusa. I'm so seventy six days removed from it. 76, 76 mm-hmm. years old. Tony Larusa is going to be back in a baseball uniform for the first time since twenty eleven. I know you and I had kind of touched upon it here when that news was bouncing around earlier on. Uh, AJ Hinch, Alex Cora were kind of more desirable names from where we're sitting. And the way that this went down, all of the oddities that happened on the tail end of this, this looks like, to me, a major misstep in the rebuilding of a franchise. Rick Hahn spends spends the last half decade tearing down this organization Mm -hmm. and building it back up to where it is. And now we are essentially in the final furlong here. We're about to run the last sprint towards the ultimate goal of winning a championship. And you make a big mistake. As an owner... You make a big mistake, and you take the ball out of Rick Hahn's hands. This was a Jerry Reinsdorf hire, and you can tell that mm-hmm. they had eyes for A.J. Hinch because of that document that came out that everyone leaked uh, the picture that well, they Well, I will say out. for those things, and I, you might – I don't know how much That's, like, you guys honestly, do this with graphics. Like, they probably like, – with, They with pre-make NFC, everything. Like, we had five of those ready, so that's that could have very likely just been something copy-pasted that an intern or whoever was making that just forgot to change. I would guarantee it. No, 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 no. Co- there's no copy and pasting there. By your by your logic, there is a A.J. Hinch, welcome to town made. There is a LaRusa, welcome to town made. There is yeah. a Cora, welcome to town made. Correct. Those are all different ones. So what in, in my understanding of this scenario and how businesses do work and how they put out these graphic these pieces of graphic art is that the A.J. Hinch one was the only one made and they had to edit it to be a Tony LaRusa one because Jerry Reinsdorf from his golden tower called down and says, it's LaRusa. It's my team. And yeah, I think, I think that they had this, four or five of those made. And I think that this is, and they might yeah, have just my, started with point, AJ Hinch and forgot to change something. That's not, that's not, that's not, that's a, that's a very inefficient way of building graphics. If you're going to build four graphics is to build them all as AJ Hinch ones and then edit it. 
that, do, that doesn't make logical okay. sense, man. Just saying. I, I think uh, it's just a clerical mistake. I, I, I think what it is is that it was a okay, franchise to that was ready to hire AJ Hinch as their manager. All signs were pointing to it. And, and, and another sign, graphics aside, was the fact that the Tony LaRussa news was leaked two weeks prior. Everybody pushed back on it, and then it went away. So that was obviously somebody testing the waters mm-hmm. of seeing how the fan base would respond to this type of news, and it wasn't good. So then they go back, they continue their managerial search. Maybe they're leaning towards A.J. Hinch. Maybe they're leaning towards somebody else. And then in the final hour, and it comes together in 48 hours, Tony La Russa, it's a done deal as the White Sox manager. I think the biggest mistake here, like, I think the biggest mistake to me was how it was handled. I'm not sure. I think I'm I'm trying to separate here actually having The hiring from the way it was handled. And the the guy himself, like, I don't want to have ill feelings toward Tony La Russa because Jerry did this. I still think it's been, it's been, what, 10 years now. I still think they got a very good manager out of this. I, I still think he's going to find ways. To, he's going to be fine in that clubhouse. I think if you watch the press conference, I think he answered the, the first two questions were he's spoken about kneeling on the he's asked about you know, kneeling in the anthem and social justice issues. And then the next one was you know players having fun and, and you know obviously like you know the Tim Andersons of the world who like to go out and you know be a little swaggy, have some fun. I think he answered those questions very well. I think the people who are saying he's not he's part of the no fun police forget that. He managed Albert Pujols for ten years, who wore massive chains and bat flipped to hell when he hit dingers. Like I'm not worried about any. Of I'm, that. I'm not worried about. I, I'm I'm worried about the process. You're right. I think this showed that Jerry Reinsdorf Jerry Reinsdorf meddled in there when he shouldn't have. And if if there's nothing wrong with him saying, "Hey Rick, I want you to interview Tony," there is something wrong let, with him let, saying, let "Hey your, Rick, you interview Tony, you're hired." The like, hire. There's no pro- like, There's no problem at all with him saying, "I need you. You got to. You got to give him an interview." He said he wants back in. You don't have to hire him, but I want you to give him a fair shake. There's nothing wrong with that. That's totally okay. That happens in every walk of life, every line of business. Like that's fine. But there is a problem where you know if because I think by what I saw was actually uh, Bruce Bochy ended up being their second choice, the guy that you know was was next in line if Larusa didn't want it, which I actually would have loved. But like there is a problem if Rick said, "Hey man, like I interviewed everybody. I, I think Bruce is the best for this team," and then Jerry said, "No, Tony's best for this team. You got to do it." That said, um, once they take the field on opening day next year and Tony La Russa is managing them. It's a talented baseball they, team. They are a very talented baseball team. I just They're don't want them to have to win. They were last year. I don't, I, don't want to have to, I don't want them to have to win in spite of a manager that can't connect with his players I don't, in one way or the other. I, I, I'm just saying, like, like, how many 76-year-olds, even, like, sitting down with people who are lucky to still have their grandparents, like 20-somethings that sit down and talk to your grandparents. It's a person you love. It's a person you know. But there's... You know, you're not speaking the same language sometimes. You're there's a disconnect there innately from a 76 year old to a 20 something. Like obviously, this is a man who's won World Series and understands the game of baseball more than the combined knowledge of the people in this room. And yes, hopefully we listen to him. But the way in which that message is communicated needs to come across in a receivable manner. And I'm not saying it's not going to. But what my biggest worry is beyond the handling of the situation in here is legitimately the health of a 76-year-old who, I mean, say what you want about how he handled his introductory press conference, but the Mm -hmm. health of a 76-year-old man who has to get on a cross-country flight once every 10 days, or who has to fly from KC back to Chicago every three days, or who has to make the trip to Cleveland. Like, does Tony La Russa have 162 games in 180 days in his body? Like, can he maintain his mental acuity 
to the level that a a major league manager needs to into the playoffs. Like, uh, is is his health going to hamper the Chicago White Sox? Are they going to have to win in spite of him? I really question. don't think they're going to have to win in spite of him. I'm interested. To, I mean, he. I know he's old. I don't think he would have taken on a job as a Hall of Famer. I know his, you know, his resume, for how many millions? His, his legacy. I mean, I, I, he was still getting paid millions to do like he was in front office roles, Joe. Like, he wasn't doing nothing. He was still getting paid big I'm sure money. He's to sit making and watch better coin than he was as a Boston Red Sox. I don't think seventy-six-year-old uh, Tony Tony Larusa took this job because he wanted a little bit extra cash. I, I, I just I won't. No, but, I won't but money will, money will make you make a decision though. I think he just wanted to get back into the game. I'm not. I, I don't. I'm. Don't think this is a. You know. I think it's a multi-year deal. I think it's probably two or three years at the most. I'm really interested to see who they hire around him because you said there might be that disconnect with the manager. But if they hire some guys that are a little bit younger that do have a little bit easier time connecting with mm-hmm. players, uh, I think I saw was it Chuck Garfine was tweeting, and obviously he's very connected with the team. Uh, I think it was the Giants' assistant pitching coach who coached uh, Giolito, Freed, and uh, who was the other. Uh, Tyler Skaggs, they were all on the same high school team. He was the guy who kind of helped Giolito reinvent himself. He's on the short list. If you get guys like that, younger guys who connect these players, having a little bit of different eyes, different sets of viewpoints on things isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. And quite honestly, they're not hiring the manager to be their best friend. Yep. I I think no matter what you got next year, you're walking into a clubhouse with a guy who's won three World Series. And I know it's it's been a little while. But you're right, walking. You got a guy walking in who knows the game of baseball, who knows how to manage a bullpen, who can speak Spanish fluently, um, who knows how to build a lineup. No, I, I, then that's not. Have, don't don't misconceive my my saying of communication with the players being actual. No, no, I, I know that. I know that. I know exactly that's not language what you're barrier. I, I, just I don't think that throw there's that gonna, fun like, fact in there because I don't think a lot of people know that he speaks. My Spanish, worry so is a 76 year old connecting with a group of 20 somethings, and I think that's a. I think that's a in any in baseball in managerial roles within a company in in any walk of life. I think that that's a. That's a valid concern. It is, but you, you and I both said we liked Bruce Bochy a lot and thought he would have been a great hire. Bruce Bochy's 65. Like, it, it, I know it's younger than 76. It's 11 like, years younger. It's, I know man. it's younger than – it's okay. It's still – It's over, also – It's over double the age of most of their players. Like, it, It's still a big disconnect. Like, the, you, A.J. Hinch obviously would have been younger and more – you know, been closer to their age, but I, I'm more worried about the entirety of the coaching staff than just the manager, Tony La Russa. And I, I, I think no matter what, I think he's going to be making the final say on a lot of these decisions, and he's got a hell of a track record of doing that to pretty good success. It wasn't the best hire they could. Have I agree. Made. I also don't. And think I'll it leave was, it at that. I don't think it was the worst. And no matter what you you and I want to well, say, it wasn't the worst. They could have hired you, Matt. They like, could have kept Rick Renneria. And I think no matter what, on opening day, you next mean year, AL? You mean Manager of the Year candidate, oh, Rick Renneria? I was going to swear there. I didn't. <laughs> Shout out me. Um, they are in a much better spot. Who do you no trust you know, when they are going into the sixth inning of a game against the Twins next year and Dylan Cease is at 100 pitches and they need to go to the bullpen? Who would you rather have making those bullpen decisions, Tony La Russa or yeah. Rick Renneria? And I just, you know, and just to reiterate what I said at the outset, like it. It, it, it reeks of a Jerry like, move, and it's a it bad move It seems like they were running a race and they come down that final furlong and they turn to go get an insurer at the concession stand. Uh, what, and I say insure because of how old he is. You're welcome. That's fair. Um, um, I, one before we, I, one quick kind of note. What I, I know this was a Jerry hire, and I don't like that. But I do think because this was a Jerry hire, and he very much meddled in this, combined with 
the amount of money he was willing to spend last year. I think that could be a key to, for Rick Hahn being like, hey, man, we, you think we can win now. We went, went and got the guy you think can win now. We need to spend get some money a, in free agency. We need to go give George Springer and Trevor Bauer yeah. money. Also, people are saying Jerry Jerry lost money this year. Obviously, he did because the pandemic. So did all of the. I others. don't care about a the, billionaire losing money. No, 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 no. Let me let me finish. Let me finish. No, I'm I think not, I'm not they're saying. You. I'm just I, well, I don't care that he, I, I agree with that totally. I don't think it matters how much money he lost this year, but I think that's going to lead a lot of franchises, and they're saying free agency in baseball. So, you know, you're going to see contracts that aren't quite as extravagant. One thing we know, especially from the Manny Machado negotiations, nothing Jerry Reinsdorf loves more than a good deal, a deal he thinks he's winning on. And if he thinks he can go out and get a Trevor Bauer or a George Springer on a steal of a deal, I don't think he's going to hesitate to sign that contract. Yeah, but there's the thing is you're you're looking at the supply and, and the amount of supply that there's going to be. The demand for George Springer, Trevor Bauer, Nolan Arenado – that that's that signed the big deal who's yeah. the third baseman i'm thinking of third, base. a third baseman there's a third baseman that's a big name three third base regardless the demand for that group of top five free agents is everywhere 30 teams want those guys 30 teams are looking for another arm the new york yankees want trevor bauer the Cleveland Indians want Trevor Bauer. The Chicago White Sox want Trevor. Everybody wants Trevor Bauer right now because he's the biggest name arm that's out there on the book. The Mets think they're getting everybody because they've they just do. got this new owner. They might. Good this for billionaire them. Owner when do we get who, our Steve Cohen, by the way? Well, we, we have our Steve Cohen, and he just hired Tony LaRusso. Well, we don't have right? our Steve Cohen. I know, but point being... I, but all I think I'm that you're under. I think that you're underestimating the demand outside of the I know White Sox clubhouse for I these guys have, that we want. I think you have somewhat of a you have a decent free agent class this year. I think there are some options. I mean, you have George Spring, you have Marcelo Zuna. I know there's some outfield names I'm forgetting, but like there's some guy. It's not like there are. It's Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and then nobody else this year. There are some options, and there, there's a lot of options out there that I also don't think there's a lot of George Springer types. I mean, Trevor Bowers, I think the only one. It's kind of the lock home run. He's going to get it if he wants it. He's going to get a huge deal. I think the rest of these guys are guys that aren't going to be. They're not the 10-year guys. They're more of like the three- to four-year guys, which I think Jerry Reinsdorf can live with a lot more throwing five for 125 at Springer than he could 10 for 300. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I know he, I, we know he loves the deal, and I think there's going to be some deals to be had on some guy. Not not like he's still gonna have to compete with people, but compared to what George Springer would have gone for on the open market three years ago compared to now, I think he's a lot less. Let's hope that by a lot less he's still gonna get paid like six figures, you know, nine figures, but and make those signings, but we shall see, Matt. Um set it from day one, George Springer, Marcus Stroman, lock it up, do it right from saying that for for five months now. From Springer in Chicago. Uh, Matt, I think that's going to do it for episode 179 of yeah. the Moose and Moons podcast. Uh, it's been a blast. Thank you for breaking it all down. Thank you for listening with us. Hope you enjoyed that breakdown with Phil Goff here on episode 179. The Irish taking on Clemson on Saturday and then Sunday. It is the Bears and the Titans. Enjoy all the action and get your butts back here for all of the post-game analysis coming next week. For Matt, I am Joe. Be well. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome.